High school students, how are we doing tonight? Well, tonight is obviously a little bit different. I've got some guests here on the stage with me. Let me introduce them to you. Uh, on my left, your right, is my former intern. He is a current small group leader. The greatest accomplishment of his life is marrying Sarah, who's sitting there in the back row. He knows more about Lord of the Rings than you could ever possibly hope to grasp in your brain. Y'all give it up for my good friend, Rob Z. Bolin. On my right, your left, is the former high school pastor. That's right, he had this job before I came here. He's our current family pastor. He has read more books than probably all of us put together, which seemed like a good invite for a night like tonight. He is a smoker of delicious meats and lover of all things Memphis. Y'all give it up for J.C. Thompson! <laughs> were those fair and accurate introductions? Those were, I yes. thought those were pretty good. I almost felt like I should have been in a corner. You should have been. Like my, Some like five music. foot 11. <laughs> yeah. 189. Ta -da, ta -da. Yeah. So tonight uh, is a little different. If you're here for the first time, we're so excited that you're here. My name's Kevin. I'm the high school pastor. And uh, we're answering your questions. So over the last uh, really month and a half, two months, we've been taking questions on Instagram. You've submitted them while we've been here. And so this week and next week, we've got about 50 questions to try to get through. And so we're going to have to move quickly. And there's no way that we can go fully in-depth with all of these questions this week and next week. Uh, I've got some great guests lined up for then as well. But we want to try to give you a starting point. And so if something that is said tonight is unclear to you, or you're like, hey, I just wish I knew a little bit more about that, please come see us uh, and say, hey, help me out with this. Or grab your small group leader, or grab a couple of your peers and say, hey, I really want to dive more into this subject or I thought what they said was incomplete or heretical or awful or whatever, that's a starting point. Take the ball and run with it. Don't just take everything we say for granted. Wrestle with it and engage with it. Okay? Is everybody ready for this? We feel good about it? I'm You're, very nervous. I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, ready to see these questions for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I sent them both the questions. Don't fall for that. This is being recorded. Okay? So anyone listening later, I gave them the questions ahead of time. Uh, and we've, uh, we've got some good ones. I'm going to ping pong with these guys through some of them. Uh, some of them I'll just move past on my own for the sake of time. I'm going to tackle this one by myself. How can we overcome doubts we have about God? I want you to hear me say this. Questions are a good thing and doubts are okay. I'm going to say it again. Questions are a good thing and doubts are okay. The way that we deal with those are together. If you stay alone in your questions and your doubts, you're going to wind up in this cynical place where you're not actually coming where you're trying to grow and, and actually have information. You're just, you're going to be bitter. So wrestle through these things together. This is an interesting format. It's a little different than maybe a typical Sunday. And we do this often. But every Sunday that you come here is a good time to ask a question of your small group leader, of me, anybody. Ask questions, okay? Now let's can get I, into, oh, can please. I add one thing Please, that? yeah. Question... Questions aren't always good, okay? Okay. Questions are good if you desire to learn the answer. Yeah. Sometimes you ask someone a question to put an obstacle in front of somebody. That's good. And there's, those are two different things. So if you want to learn, questions are a great thing. But if you're asking a question to take a shot at somebody, or if you're asking a question to put an obstacle and you're not willing to learn, you're not willing to listen, that's not the kind of question that you need to be asking. So no, that's a good word. That's a good word. And as we go through all these questions tonight... I just want to ask you to think about a question as we answer them for you. Do you care what God says about these things? Because if you don't care what God says, then to JC's point, like maybe you're just asking a question to try to be incendiary or like, gotcha, ah, I knew you couldn't answer that one. Listen, or to excuse your simple behavior. Yeah, yeah. But you have to ask yourself, do, do I really care what God says about this? Because if you care, then it's going to change how you respond. Okay, let's get into some real hard-hitting questions. One of my favorites. Does Brookwood Church consider hit rapper Kanye West to be a legit Christian artist? I wonder who asked this one. <laughs> Peter, would you like to come up and answer this one? Uh, here, here's what I wrote in my notes. Uh, does Kanye truly know Christ? I don't know. I, I don't know his heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. I can observe fruit. I can observe actions and I can base kind of my deduction on that. Do I think that Kanye probably truly knows Jesus? I'm going to lean no. And if you want to argue with me, that's cool. Like I'm open to being wrong. Um, 
Should we listen to his music? I don't know. I will tell you this. What comes in is often what's going to come out. So there's some stuff Kanye has that I go, man, that is, that's strong. There's other stuff I go, this is garbage, and I don't want to have garbage coming out of my mouth. I have young, impressionable minds in my house. So that's me. So I would, I would think about that some, okay? Kanye fan? Sometimes. Kanye? When you're working out, maybe? <laughs> no. No? All right. <laughs> What's your go-to workout mix? I don't have, I listen to podcasts when I work out. That's so intelligent. <laughs> go-to workout mix? A mix of like NF and Four Today. All right, I've heard so of one of those. So metal band and like hype rap music. Monument Valley's my study playlist. Does that count? I don't know what any of these things are. <laughs> I listen to country music. You anyway. also assume I work out, Kevin. Oh, yes. yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right, these next three, we batch them together because they're all kind of in a similar vein. So uh, why should I trust God? Is there proof? If not, why believe? Uh, what, what does it mean to truly believe in God? How do I know that I'm saved and that I really do believe despite my doubts? Why do I owe God my belief if my debts were already paid on the cross? Why do I owe him if everything has already been paid? Uh, we'll bounce this stuff around a little bit. I just want to, I'm going to throw a quote at you. Uh, this is by a man named A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's true. When you think about God, what you think about in that moment is the most important thing about you. Not your grades, your GPA, how good you are on the field or court. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. So these questions are important. Uh, do, should you trust God? Do you think you can trust God? Uh, what does it mean to truly believe in him? I think we've already touched on part of this of, you know, can you have doubts? Yes. There are things, I've been following Jesus for about half my life. You could call me a professional Christian. Like I sit and read my Bible. I put together messages. I hang out with you guys and talk about this stuff all the time. There are things I'm, I'm a little shaky on, if I'm honest. And I think that's okay. But I want to keep moving towards Christ. And so, so long as I'm not actively fighting him and running away from him, I think it's okay to have these questions and to have these doubts. Now, is there proof? I think there are pieces that you can look at that are difficult to explain away absent of a God. The complexity of creation, to me, would seem to point to a creator. Uh, there are a lot of different things that you could cite. I'll go to one. Think about the position of the earth. How many planets are there? Eight or nine. You gave away... <laughs> Everyone over a certain age thinks nine because when we were in school, Pluto was a planet and then it got punked and it's no longer a planet. It's been reinstated. Has it been reinstated? Yes. Sometimes. Depends on who, which scientist you talk to. Okay. Isn't that funny, Kev? Yeah. <laughs> can't get and bogged down there's also planet this. X. There's another one that we don't even... All yes. right. Well, what do I know? But here's what I do know about the planet Earth and I know about the sun. If the planet Earth was shifted even a little bit closer to the sun that heat would make our world a place where we would not be able to inhabit. If we were shifted a little bit away from the sun, it'd be too cold, we wouldn't be able to inhabit. So you're telling me that just happened by accident. I don't believe that. I don't. Now, is that enough by itself? Maybe not. But I think there's a lot of other markers along the way that go, seems like this didn't happen by accident. I struggle to believe that, that it just was particles from nothing. That's, that's me. Um, do you guys want to weigh in on some of the first part of this, trusting God, believing there is a God? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of proof out there. Um, I think what is unique about the Christian worldview is that it, do, it gives a cosmological argument, which is the formation, the origin of the universe, how it was created. It also gives a, an argument of philosophy. How are we supposed to live? What is the definition of good? What does true mean? And then how do we become those things? It also has definitions of evil. So I think what's troubling sometimes is you take these arguments and you pick your favorite kind of evidence that you think disproves God, but then you also have to take with that, you also have to take, okay, if, God, if there is no God, let's just use that as a premise, there's no God, then you have to figure out what does it mean to be good? What is good? And then how do you become good? Do you become good on the back of someone else? Do you become good out of your own sheer innate ability? And if you're a random assimilation of cells, is there good within us or is there evil within us? And so what we do sometimes is we break chunks out. And oftentimes when you're coming for somebody who's got a, a frustration of the Christian worldview, they'll attack one piece. Well, then you also have to deal with all of these other pieces. Uh, the Christian worldview has answers for all of those things. And I'll just tell you, the, the most up-to-date science right now is that we're in a rapidly, infinitely, eternally expanding universe. It does not expand eternally backwards. It only expands eternally forwards, which for me and you seems like 
there is an origin point where things were created and it will exist forever. Does that sound like the Christian worldview? Yes. Well, what does that mean? Atheists, agnostics believe that if there is an origin point, Big Bang Theory or some other system, if that's the case, that means there's an origin source. And that's terrifying for them to say that there is a random assimilation of all this matter that exploded and then separated. That, that is a credible worldview. But what comes along with that credible worldview is something started it. Matter, matter has to be moving in some way and something has to move it, okay? So, we believe God created everything out of nothing and we believe that it had a start point and we believe it will go on forever. That's the Christian worldview. The most up-to-date science says that as far as what we can believe about the origin of the universe. So, now we've got to explain what does the universe look like next. That's why your children will be learning about the multiverse and what it looks like to have multiple universes because the last 60 to 100 years of, of scientific theory of the Big Bang is probably a great evidence for the creation of the universe. And so the most up-to-date science, which are y'all talking about the multiverse in your science class or are y'all still talking about Not Big Bang? Not just Marvel, everyone, but for real. Yeah, so it's a credible theory now to think that there's multiple universes and all of them maybe have starting points. That, like, th this is what we're talking about with like, the head scientists, that's where they're at. I'm telling you the Big Bang Theory is maybe the greatest evidence that you have that there's a creator. When I was your age, the Big Bang Theory, your parents didn't want you to hear anything about that. That's terrifying to you that there's a Big Bang. But, but essentially God went bang and then it, you know, it all happened. That, that's, the most credible, that's the most credible view of the origin of the universe at this point in time. Do you understand that? In all of science, that's the most credible viewpoint. So, saying that, there's plenty of arguments for those things, uh, of proof of God. But that's not the only proof that's out there. There's proof of other things as well. So, I'm, I'm sharing that to just share. To, to believe in God is not to say it's blind faith. That's not true. Um, God created this world. The, the scriptures say that we have eternity inside of us, that we know right from wrong internally. Um, it also, uh, we can look at creation and get a testimony of God. All those things are, are proof of God's existence. I just think we have to wrestle with what does it look like for us to believe all of it and not just a, a portion of it. Hmm. That's well said. Robsy, you want to add to that? Yeah, I think the first question is good. Why should I trust God? And here would be my hot take. Don't. I would say let him earn your trust. Hmm. I would bet my life that he 100% comes through every single time. Hmm. Um, you, so you've you experienced that for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think everyone on the stage can say it. And I think your small group leaders can say like, hey, I can see where God's came through in my life. And I didn't think it was a good thing at the time. I would have been like, no, he definitely didn't come through this time. But now looking in hindsight, you can see where God has worked through your life again and again and again and again. Hmm. Um, even in the times where you're struggling and you're just like, but God, you promised me something like this. Why is this not happening? And then you can just look back and be like, oh, wow, over the course of this year, this thing has happened. And like, it would have been impossible for that thing. It would have been a bad idea to be able to do this. Um, and I think you can look back and you can just be like, God has had me this whole time. There has been a plan A and only a plan A. And he will earn your trust. Hmm. And I think even in the Bible, you can look at certain points in the stories. Oh, God, well, make it do only on this map. And he's like, okay, done. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Make it do only not on the map. Okay, done. What more trust do you need? I've yeah. got your back. You know? And you can see so many stories where this is just almost a theme throughout the whole Bible of just, just trust me, just trust me, just trust me. You have a little faith, just trust me. That's good. Adding on to Robbie Please, and you, um, we're called to be disciples. That word means learner. So we should constantly, always, and forever be learning. So God's infinite. There's plenty to learn. You're never going to reach the end, just like you think you'll never reach the end of Google, even though that <laughs> is possible. Uh, you will never, ever reach the end of knowing and understanding God more deeply. And so your questions, your doubts, those are things you bring to God so that you can learn. That's, that's the point of being a disciple of Christ. No doubt. Uh, to try to skip into this middle part, um, what does it mean to truly believe in God? Uh, this is more than saying, well, yeah, I believe. Like, I had to just look up the actual verse reference, but James 2.19, you can jot this down. Uh, James, brother of Jesus, says, you say you believe, but even, even the demons believe. So true belief moves you to action. So this is not true. Everyone, eyes on me real quick. What I'm about to say is not true, okay? So don't freak out. But if there was a bomb in this room, there's not, don't panic, <laughs> But if you believed that was true, to truly believe that would mean what? You would run screaming out yeah, of this building. Get out of here. 
True belief moves you to action. So if you know somebody, and maybe that somebody is the person who looks at you in the mirror every day, they're like, yeah, I believe in God. That means to act upon that belief. So it's not enough just to say it. You have to do something about it. I think that's why, and it's sobering, there's a lot of passages where Jesus says, not everybody who claims to follow Christ actually does. So check yourself. I think that's, that's huge. Uh, this last piece about you know, debts being paid on the cross, why do I owe him if everything was already paid? Uh, perhaps this is an anecdotal answer, but I'm just telling you, if someone gave their life for me, I don't feel like a day is going to come where I'm like, all right, we're square, like we're good. No, you, you gave your life for me. And so for me, it's not, it's not so much like, why do I have to? It's every day I wake up, Jesus, I'm thankful I get to give my life to you. Maybe that's a subtle thing. I don't know, maybe it's semantics, but that's just somehow I kind of think through that. Yeah, creator, um, creature. Like, he's creator. We're not. We don't right. get to determine what that looks like. We do owe him everything. Even if you choose not to do that during this life, guess what? You still owe him everything. Your knees will bow, your tongue will confess on the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, we all owe everything to him. Even if you don't do that, even if you don't do that, you owe him everything. He's the, you have no life without him. You owe everything to him. No doubt. And you don't have to like it. Like, you don't have to like something for it to be true, right? Like, you may go home tonight and you're having meatloaf. You don't like that. It's true. Meatloaf. I also love meatloaf. I, <laughs> I like meatloaf. That was the, okay. Oh, sorry, Rob. Well, sorry. Well, Rob, it's true. And you don't have to like it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me give you a quick resource and actually kind of a series of resources. Uh, this is an older book. It's called The Case for Christ. I read this book probably when I was your age. Uh, Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist. He was a staunch atheist, did not believe there was a God, and he set out to prove it. He's like, I'm going to do what no one else has ever done. I'm going to prove there's no God. And along the way, you know what happened? The Holy Spirit radically intersected his life and changed his course. And he has written not only this book, but a series of other books. They all start with the case for a creator, the case for a lot of different things. So uh, you can check those out. Uh, if you're like, hey, I would love to have that $10 book off Amazon. I don't have 10 bucks. Come see me. I will buy you this book. Um, There's another book. I don't have a picture of it. Why God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't by Gavin Ortland. Why okay. God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't. New release, newest science. It t also talks about every argument for God. The, the argument of beauty, the argument of love, the mm -hmm. argument of ethics, all those things, as well as the cosmological argument and so the origin of the universe. I love it. Hey, and I see you guys taking pictures writing down. That's good. We will also put some of this stuff out on social media. We'll get that uh, resource list out to you. Uh, okay, uh, next question. How can someone, God, just exist for all time? JC, I'm going to throw this one over to you. <laughs> uh, so we look at God from a human perspective. So we know we started somewhere. So we go, if we start somewhere, everything has to start somewhere, right? All of creation has a starting point. But here's the problem. God describes himself as uncreated. So this has been written about for hundreds and thousands of years. This question is not new. In fact, Augustine was arguing that God was uncreated. That is the term that he used and coined. Uncreated, meaning he did not have an origin point because he was not created. So only created things have a starting point, which means if you believe God has a starting point, you already are coming from the wrong perspective of who God has revealed himself to be. God is pre-existent, meaning he existed before anything. He made things exist. So he's in a different category, much like we would put the Colts in a different category of football teams Whoa, as hurtful. worse. It's true, though. God is in a totally different category than creation. He is uncreated. So that is why he has always existed. Even the idea of existence did not exist until God made existence exist. Totally different categories. Sweet. All right, we're going to keep moving for a second time. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, this, this is one of my favorite. Can you explain the Trinity? If we spent a year, the answer is no. No, I cannot explain it. Like, I, I can't be done. Uh, we're going to touch on it, uh, but I, I want you to understand it's okay to say, no, I don't have all the answers. If you as a Christ follower feel pressured to have all the answers, release yourself from that. It's okay. Like, I looked at JC this week. I was like, hey, dude, can you explain the Trinity? He was like, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but JC will say absolutely to anything like that. That's a challenge. The, the reality is every explanation you've ever heard kind of falls short. Oh, it's like an egg. Like there's a shell and there's a yolk and there's a white... Uh, okay, but water, it can be like, it, it's ice and it's, it's water and it's it, vapor. Okay, but like these things cannot, created things cannot fully encompass this, this 
really difficult to grasp truth, truth about the creator. But JC was really excited about this one. Yeah. So I'm throwing it over there to him again. Go, JC. Uh, so there's two words you need to understand. These are, these are uh, Latin words. The first one is essence. Uh, Usius is the Greek word, and it means that basically being. So humans, human beings, being human means we have an essence. We all relate to one another, whether we think we're extremely different or not. We all have some commonality between us. So God is one in essence, in usius, one in essence. But he's three in persona. Persona is a Latin word. The best picture of that is when you were doing drama, if you could think of Shakespeare way back in the day, when you were doing drama, these characters did not make full costume changes. But instead what they would do is they would put a mask on, and the mask would generally be a smile if they were the comedian, or it would be a frown if either they were the villain or trying to instill some sort of drama. And they would add different voices. So God is three in persons, meaning he has different persona, which is a Latin word, meaning person. Now what does that mean? That means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have distinct roles. Some could say personalities, but that doesn't really cover it. Personas that do different things. The Father is sort of initiator. He's the one that makes things go. Christ is our mediator. He is the bridge between God the Father and us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is indwelling us. We are unified with God through the Holy Spirit. And so saying that, they each have roles, and they each have relationships, which would take a long time to go through all that. And we, we don't have time, and I would probably confuse you, okay? But this is not explaining it. This is a God concept. We try to use human words to explain it. One in essence, three in personas, persons, three in persons. That's the kind of way you can organize your thoughts around that. It's extremely important, especially to people who different faiths, because some don't believe that God is one in person. And so you can explain what that looks like. But some don't believe that Jesus Christ was actually God. That if he was begotten of the Father, which the scriptures say, if he's begotten, well, that word means born. And so if he was born of God, then he can't be God in pre-existent time. And so those are thousands of year controversies that we have plenty of resources for and talk through. But when you're sharing your faith with somebody who holds one of these distinct worldviews about who Christ is, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's just an important person or human being, which I think is crazy talk with some of the things that he said, like eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, either you're a supernatural being who's saying those things or you're a crazy person, okay? So I'm, I'm just sharing with you, you, you can't really say he's just a regular guy, okay? But one in essence, Usius, three in personas, persons. Yeah. That's the framework. Yeah, that's a good framework. Some people try to go, well, the Father was clearly present in the Old Testament, then we see Jesus in the Gospels, and then the Holy Spirit. That's, you can get into this, mod, it's called modalism, where you think there's, you know, they have different modes at different times. Uh, but I'll, I'll just throw this verse out to you, and, and you can read more on this. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. This is the baptism of Christ, and we see all three figures of the Godhead, Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the Father speaking from heaven. Kind of a, it's kind of a linchpin piece to, to this conversation. Uh, you can also go read in John 1, some of what JC was referencing. Hebrews uh, 3. Hebrews okay. 3. Um, these are good things. If you want to read a book that's old school, uh, JC, <laughs> JC referenced this, St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, On the Trinity. This is an old book. When was this book written? long time ago. Four, it was 397. Okay. AD. So, 397 AD. There was only three digits to that number he just said, everyone. <laughs> 397. So you can go. You can read this. Uh, I have this on my shelf if you want to borrow it. Uh, we can try to figure it out together. Do you have it in Latin? Do you read I, it in Latin? I do not have it in Latin. Um, <laughs> Me either. But, but yes. Okay, so that's, that's on the Trinity. So sorry we couldn't go. Here's a neat bow on the Trinity. Um, yes. You'll probably never get that this side of glory, but one day we'll see him face to face, which is our hope, and we'll go, Jesus, what in the world? We did not understand, but now we get it, and that's awesome. So moving on. Uh, I'm going to go to Rob Z with this one first. Does the spirit realm really exist, and how do we see angels in real life and in the Bible? Talk to us, Rob Z. Well, the answer is yes. Okay, on. moving on. <laughs> no. Um, so does the spirit realm really exist? I mean, you can look at every different kind of culture. There is some sort of spirit realm. Um, and then if, even if you look at the Bible, everyone knows what uh, God is called in Hebrew. What is it? Yahweh. Right, but if you go to the very beginning in Genesis, you guys know what he's called? Elohim. Elohim, which means the spiritual being. Mm. Um, so meaning that God is a spiritual being, which then would mean that there is a spiritual realm of existence. Um, you could even look at, um, is it Elijah or Ezekiel? 
the big battlefield. He's like, you can't see it in front of you. It's Elisha. Elisha, yeah, yes. The servant doesn't see that they're surrounded by the armies of God, yeah. Yes, um, and so he's like, you don't even see all this like fighting and battling that's going on. Um, you can even look in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, um, where, he, where Paul talks about putting on the um, armor of God. And he's talking about that, and not that you need to put on this armor to go fight people and spill blood, but that this needs to be armor to keep you from the spiritual things that are happening around you. Um, I mean, if it, you guys all know spirits are there, all of your guys' bedroom doors have randomly closed, right? <laughs> That's just your house, Robsy. Robsy, well, no. <laughs> concerned about we, your we house. We need to get some anointing oil and start <laughs> yeah. putting some blessings over it. Um, no, and then how do we see angels in real life? And Before you move angels, okay. I'm going to come yes. back to you on angels because I want to throw this in. Uh, this is Ephesians 6.12. Robsy was talking about yeah. uh, the armor of God. Uh, this is... This is important. Don't miss this. It says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, though, yes, of course, you can have those, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. The Bible is saying right there there's an unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is real, and your denial of it, your decision to just bury your head in the sand doesn't make it any less real. I think it just makes you ill-equipped to deal with a very real thing. Spiritual warfare, the spiritual realm, Angels and demons are real. So now, Ravzi, talk to us a little bit about angels. Oh, yes. Um, so how do we see angels in real life and in the Bible? I think there are, so there are different like, categories of what you're going to think of angels. Um, most of the angels that you're going to think of are not really going to have like wings. Um, a lot of them are going to be scary looking, and that's what the Bible kind of talks about. I see Kevin's got some pictures. Oh, I do have up. some pictures. This is, I we found can... this meme this week, and it really made me laugh because this is a biblically accurate picture of an angel as they're described. You ever wonder why when the angels show up, they're like, don't be afraid. It's because they look weird. <laughs> they're weird looking beings. Now, like, this is maybe the most normal looking one. These are all ancient paintings. Like, oh, okay, even that's kind of weird looking. But some of these other ones, as the Bible describes them, as having like animal faces and multiple wings. Uh, this type of angel that you can read about uh, has six wings, and four of them are solely dedicated to covering their hands and feet because of the holiness of God. Only two of them are used to keep them aloft. And then if you want to get into Ezekiel, Ezekiel's seeing some weird stuff. Like maybe he just hadn't slept well. I don't know. But he's, he describes these rings that are angelic beings, they have eyes all over them. And I know you're just thinking the thing that goes on top of the Christmas tree, but the angels are described a lot of different ways and they can be kind of freaky, which again, like that's why I think they show up and they're like, don't be afraid, because uh, they look weird. But they've but, also like came to people's houses yes. and they're like, oh, come on in, have a meal. And they're sitting down and then like, as they're sitting there, they're like, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. You look normal. different. Yeah. <laughs> you're an angel, yes? Um, and then the angel of the Lord, which, which is a Jesus, obviously, but um, even him glowing and then people seeing him and then they're like, oh, this is the angel of the Lord. This is, this is Jesus. Um, and so w even in Hebrews, it talks about. I got you. This is a good yes. pull from you this week. Yeah. Um, don't forget to show hostility to strangers for some, some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it, entertained angels without realizing it. Um, and so. I, mean, I just think back in my life and I'm just like, how many random people could have been angels? Like some lady that I just randomly met at Sphinx that I was like, she was like, oh, how can I pray for you? And I was like, oh, I'm just starting this new intern job. I don't know if I feel like I'm really equipped enough to like lead a group of youth and like really go into like this whole youth pastor thing. And then she was like, let me just pray for you. And let me, I just got a word of God, word from God for you. And then as I'm driving away, I'm like, was that an angel? <laughs> Or is that just some random lady? I'm not sure. Um, I'm even reading a book. Um, I don't know if you guys know the band For Today. Um, but he said he was doing a show and that there was some guy just sitting in front of him and then like some people in the crowd got rowdy. He had to stop the show because they were being like super brutal at this metal show. And then later on, he's like, he does this meet and greet thing after every show. And the guy that was sitting in the front, he had this metal, like a black jacket, spikes on it, stuff like that. He said he was just standing off to the side. And the people that were like, angry at him and spitting on him for stopping the show um, to tell them to stop. Like they didn't even see him. They didn't even do anything to him. And then afterwards, he like goes up and talks to the guy, finds out his name's Firewolf, which you're like, that's got to be an angel. There's no way that's your actual <laughs> name, right? And he's like, I feel like I was entertaining an angel. And he's like, I gave him 60 bucks. I don't know what an angel's going to do with 60 bucks, but I gave it to him. And then he, the guy said, he was like, yes, where I come from, we all listen to your music. 
And he was like, he made it sound like he definitely wasn't from Columbus, Ohio. Wow. And also made it definitely sound like he wasn't from Earth. So, I mean, there's just like stories like this where you can see where people have entertained angels. Um, you can go watch a documentary. It's called Touched by an Angel. Just kidding. It's not oh, I was like, I was like, <laughs> no, it's, like it's an old 90s show yes. starring Roma Downey. Yes, uh, your grandma's probably watching. Yeah, you're probably, <laughs> hey, I watch it too every Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's easy to chuckle some of this stuff off and be like, yeah, but... But don't miss that the spiritual realm is real. And, and our culture has kind of a weird fixation on angels. But I, I will tell you, as much as we focus on angels, like there are fallen angels and they are real as well. And you can't blame everything on, well, the devil made me do it. But I, I, I truly believe that there are, there are enemies who oppose everything about following Christ. And they want to trip you up any way that you, they can. If you want to read, again, I've got some old books I'm pulling out here today. This is a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, has anybody ever read this? It is written from the perspective of an elder demon to a younger demon in his efforts to basically trip this person up that he's been assigned. Uh, it, it's an interesting book. I've got copies in my office. Again, if you want one, come see me. Uh, but this, this stuff is interesting. And kind of staying in the spiritual realm, uh, got this question. Do our loved ones really look down on us from heaven? Oh, there went my microphone. Oh, goodness. Save me, Robsy. Thank you, sir. Like hopefully your defensive coordinator does for the yes. Bears. Yes, yes. Thank Everybody you. give it up for Rob Z. Rob Z with the save. Do our loved ones look down on us from heaven? Uh, the answer is we don't know, truthfully. Uh, and I, I spent a good bit of time reading on this this past week. Uh, a lot of it comes down to how you interpret uh, Hebrews 12.1. It's, it's kind of the essential passage people go to. It talks about being surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Depends on how you interpret the Greek. This could mean they've given witness in that they've given their lives. It could mean that, yes, they are seeing us. I think all of us would draw great comfort from the thought of those of, who have gone before us, uh, our spiritual forefathers and mothers. For me, it's my grandpa. He's the godliest dude I ever knew. And it would give me great comfort to think that he sees me. But I'm telling you at the same time, when I'm with Jesus, as much as I love all of you, if I go before you, I'm not worried as much about you because Jesus is better than you. He just is. And so there's a very distinct possibility that our loved ones are in the presence of Christ and they are focused on what is better, and that's Christ. And I don't say that to make it sound like your loved ones don't care about you anymore, but Jesus is just greater than you. He is. And so we don't know the answer. I wish I could give you, you know, something concrete. I would caution you against kind of this sentimentality thing where every time you see, you're like, oh, that's, that's my loved one speaking to me from beyond the grave. Man, I, I would just pump the brakes a little bit. I would ask some questions. I would get into the scripture. Uh, I don't know that you're going to get true clarity, um, but I just think that, I, I don't know. You guys have a, a strong feel on this either way? Maybe. I feel like in heaven, you're just, there's going to be so many things going on that like the last thing you're going to do is like, what's going down down there? You know, I feel like when I'm there, I'm going to be like, I've been there, done that. Yeah. I'll see you yeah. guys when you guys get here. Then you get into, like, is heaven outside of time? But then yeah. we didn't, we, no one asked that question, so I guess we won't right. answer it. Yeah, we don't have time to answer that one. Right. Yeah. But there, are more, there, there are more examples in Scripture of, uh, you know, the parable uh, that Lazarus, Lazarus right? Yep. Where they're looking down and, and communicating. Yeah. Like, there, there's, there's pictures of that, but parable, we think, is a, a made-up story, possibly. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me... I would say to you, just as Jesus has probably taken up everybody's attention in heaven, Jesus is enough for you here. Yeah. But I'm also sharing with you, if you are grieving the loss of someone, please come talk to us. We would love to point you to some resources, some places at our church that can help you. We'd love to just talk to you and hear about your loved one. Um, and so those, those are the two things. If, if you need guidance, go to God for that. If you're grieving and struggling, what do I do with this loss? Then you need to come talk to somebody. Talk to your small group leader. Come talk to us. We, we'd love yeah. to share um, how you can still find hope in the midst of, of your grief. Yeah. And to be clear, we're not saying that they can't. They absolutely could. We don't know. And I think Robbie said something really good. Hey, if you've got someone you love, they've gone to be with the Lord already, you will get to see them again. Yeah. And I get a little choked up because I've got people who I love. And they're with Jesus, and like time will go on forever, and we will have so much time to just sit and be with each other and with Jesus. And that's a great hope. That's a great comfort to me. All right, JC, I'm coming to you because I liked the example you gave me on this this week when we were talking. Uh, answer this for us. Why did God make us? Was it because he was lonely? No. 
He absolutely is not lonely. Hey, just, and this is like a, a particular thing to not, I'm, I'm saying your generation, but it's also the adults that are in your life because they've been discipled by the culture. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. He was pre-existent. He was, he was just cool. So why then did he make us? Because I, I think about Kevin. Kevin's a great example of this. If y'all don't know this, Kevin really likes donuts. And when I say really likes, like that's like minimizing his uh, affection towards donuts. Yes. But if he finds a great donut place, what do you think he's going to do about it? Tell he's, no one to eat them all. He's going, no, he's going to share <laughs> it with everyone. You're going to see it on a social media page. You're going to see a box that he probably kept that probably still has crumbs in it that he wants to show everybody. He's going to have all kinds of weird stuff he tells you about how God was speaking to him as he was eating this donut. You guys but want the to get lunch, That has use. happened. Don't, don't make a joke of it. But the reality is when you experience something amazing, you have to share it with someone. That's why God made you. He's so awesome. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to experience what it feels like to be loved with no strings attached. He wants you to feel what it means to have someone who is so loyal that even when you think you, there's no way in the entire world that God could ever forgive what you did, and he says, absolutely I can. Let me show you what holiness, grace, forgiveness looks like. God is so amazing. He does not need you. So if you get mad at him, he's still okay. He's not mad at you for that. Like if... if God is just, he is Kevin's best donut place times infinity, and he wants to share it with everyone. That's why God made you. Our job is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. In other words, we just bask in the awesomeness of God all the time. That's the purpose of humanity, is to enjoy and glorify God. So he is so awesome, he wants to share himself with you, and that's the point of your life, is to enjoy him. That's well said. For sake of time, I'm going to keep us moving. Uh, this is a fun one that, again, hear me, if we had a month to unpack this in a series, we wouldn't be able to touch on everything. How can we talk about creation in the Bible, but science says evolution? Uh, you have probably heard this before. Well, the Bible can't be true because science says one thing. You've already heard JC touch on. Science is increasingly pointing towards some things you go, hmm, it's not this diametrically opposed thing like when we were kids coming through school, it was kind of that way. It's, it's less and less that way. Science does seem to really actually support much of what scripture says. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, Rob, this is a big one. I'm going to come to you first, but if you don't have a total complete answer, it's okay. Uh, we, can, we can pick you up too. This is a big one. Yeah. Um, I would also just caution. I just, I feel like now science, the word science just gets thrown around. It's like, well, science says this. Well, science says that. And then like when you say like the science says this, you're like really referring to, you Googled it, you found a first page, and then you were like, found an article that said what you wanted to said, and you're like, science said it. So I would Done. just also like, <laughs> solved. I would also just caution about like, what, what, what does science actually say? And so um, I would also say if science is saying like, but it talks about evolution, I would say that science is also missing the, like the piece, right? It's, it's the missing gap from where like, it's saying like, hey, everybody just created as monkeys and then we like evolved and then we got to humans. There is a piece that's missing in the middle. No one can find it, but scientists are just like, it's out there because this is what we're going with. Um, so I would say that science doesn't say evolution because it's missing the piece in the middle. Um, I would also say, if you were to ask me, do I believe in evolution? Yes, but in the sense that like adaptation is real. When, place, pe when people, when animals get put in certain places, they adapt to their surroundings. Um, it's just like a fantasy football, you've got to stay water. <laughs> so like, yes. you got to like, yeah. you know, your beaks have to change, your like how tall you are has to change, how strong you get has to change depending on what your physical activity is, what your environment is all the time. Rob's um, describing mi microevolution as opposed to macroevolution. Like I can't grow wings, I can't evolve into a bird. Like that's not going to happen. But you can adapt to the, to the, to the place, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's about where. Yeah, you want to jump in? Yeah, I just, I agree with what Robsy said. I do think there's some evidence to say, hey, is evolution a thing to look at, pay attention to, and ask questions about? Yeah, I, I don't think it's something so crazy that we have to go, oh my gosh, what in the world? Like, I, I just don't feel that way. But can I just share with you the frustration that I have about all of this is the Bible has been around for literally thousands of years, and it's told you, here's all you need to know. And so we've had thousands of years to look at it and go, these are the things that we don't like that it says. Well, that's different than saying we're disproving it. It, it hasn't been dis disproven. Here's, here's the challenge with the Bible, and I'll, I'll just tell you. You cannot make a strong case that the Bible is not accurate. In fact, I would say 
that would be a really bad argument to say that the Bible is not accurate. The question you have to ask is, is the Bible true? Is what it says true? And that's the part where we would say faith, faith comes to play. There's, there's plenty of uh, digs that we've done based in archaeological, archaeological finds that we're trying to, to do, all based on the geography is given to us in this ancient text. And you know what? They dig there and they find stuff. So I would just tell you, science is not an enemy of the faith. In fact, some of the greatest scientists in history were Christians. Um, I will just tell you, I'm, I'm going to give you one thing that will probably challenge your thinking a little bit. Everybody remember the scientific method? The whole point of the scientific method is to isolate the independent variable. Everybody remember that? They just teach now. you that. <laughs> they teach you that like second or third grade science. Did anybody learn that that's a, a scientific impossibility to do that? Do you know why? Do you know one independent variable you can never isolate? You. Like when you observe something, it's based on your perspective, and you are an independent variable. So what do they do? They have many scientists look at the evidence, right? And that's where you have the difference between a peer-reviewed study and a regular study. But what I'm sharing with you is sometimes the scientists you share it with may have some of the similar biases that you may have. Right? Just like sometimes you go to your friends and ask a question that you kind of already know that they have an answer to that you like. And so you're just going to go and get their opinion because they're going to back up what you think is the right thing. Y'all have never done that, right? Confirmation bias. Right, what I'm talking about? Yeah, so uh, I would just challenge your scientific method is a wonderful thing. It's a great way to learn. But also remember that you and me, all of us, we have biases and perspectives that we always cannot isolate as one of the independent variables. Yeah. Guys, there's a lot we can get into here. People like to dive into the, like the age of the earth piece. That's debated even in Christian circles. How old is the earth? You know, was it six literal days God created it in? Was it indefinite periods? How old was the earth when God created it? Like there's, there's all this stuff we can get into. If you want to come talk to us, please do that. I'll give you a website to check out. I don't necessarily endorse everything Ken Ham has ever said or done. Uh, <laughs> but this website's a good place to start. It's called Answers in Genesis. Uh, it's a, it'll get you on a path. Again, I'm not saying I endorse everything the man says. I think he's smart. He knows a lot more than I do about a lot of things. But uh, check out the website, Answers in Genesis. Uh, we got to move on for sake of time. Uh, I'm going to tackle this. JC already kind of touched on it. Is it possible that any messages have been twisted or lost in translation as we continue to create new translations of the Bible? And then also a question about why do we trust Martin Luther to have accurately compiled the Bible? Um, J- I'm going to use JC's words. The Bible is the most historically accurate resource we have from antiquity. Uh, if you want to come and talk to me about uh, manuscripts and the number of copies we have of like the Iliad or, or the Odyssey, some of these like books that no one questions versus the number of copies we have of the Bible. We can get into all of that. Um, I would say to you, I believe, and I think our faith tradition believes that the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. And so I believe it has been his work to shepherd that down through the years. Yes, there are translations that you need to be cautious of. There are people, as JC saying, the independent variable of the translator. And so you have to be cautious. There are whole uh, different world religions. And we're going to touch on some of those next week. We had questions on different religions, different belief systems. We'll, we'll get there next week. But uh, I'll give you one, for instance, the New World Translation is the Bible of the Jehovah's Witness faith. And they, I've done the work to look into the translation. Some of it, it's, it's shoddy. It's bad. Uh, and so, yes, be cautious in that. I would also tell you uh, there are good translations that we can trust. And I would also say to the second question, Martin Luther is not the one who single-handedly compiled the Bible. I don't have a ton of time to get into this, but there was a lot of people over a lot of years who decided upon what our Bible would be, the canon of Scripture. Uh, but Martin Luther was a good guy, but he, he wasn't so good that we trust him to do this all by himself. Did, okay, I'm going to move on for the sake of time. All right, is everybody okay? Everybody take one deep breath in. Let it out. Okay, now we get to the good stuff. How do I talk with a friend who has different views on sexuality? Why do people think LGBTQ plus is wrong? How should we as Christ followers engage with people's preferred pronouns? For those of you who ask these questions, thank you for having the bravery to ask them. This is a difficult subject. And I believe that where we land as Christ followers with some of these issues is going to largely shape the rest of your lives, my lives, the lives of my children. So these are important things. Uh, To answer the first one, how do you talk with a friend who has different views on sexuality? You talk with them, not at them. If you try to dunk on people and score points on them in a conversation, they are very quickly going to shut down. So stop trying to go out and just one-up somebody on this topic. It's not a good way to approach it. Why do people think that LGBTQ plus is wrong? 
JC, you say in your notes here, and I want to ask you to expound on this, it doesn't matter what we think, it matters what God thinks, because we're not our own, we belong to God. So yeah, in this area, so there are, three, there are three kind of things you need to think about when it comes to any, any issue, okay? Three things. One, the relationship. You have to think about the relationship. What does it look like to have a relationship with a person, okay? When I'm, I'm about to talk to parents about this in a couple weeks. They want to talk about these sexuality issues too, okay? One of the things I will tell them is, one of the things you have to deal with is not just... Just having the right information doesn't matter if you can't deal with the relationship. You have to love. Love does not mean you don't have a different viewpoint. So the second pillar is, what does the Bible say about these things? How can we deal with the discipleship of this particular issue? We, we cannot lose either one of those things. Do you understand that? You cannot give on what does the Bible say, what do the scriptures say. You also cannot give on the fact that even though the Bible say these things, I am not going to not treat you with love and respect. Does that make sense to everybody so far? The third thing is, and this is the thing that youth pastors and family need to pay attention to, and you need to pay attention to with your friends. This is called formation. You have rhythms to your life. When you come in as a middle school student or a high school student with an issue, do you know the three questions I'm going to ask you or your family members? How much sleep are you getting? Are you eating good and actual food. What stressors do you have in your life? Why am I asking you those questions? Because you do not make good decisions when those three things are not where they're supposed to be. It doesn't matter if you're 65. It doesn't matter if you're three. We especially see it when kids are three. You know why? Because they turn into mutants when they don't have enough food to eat or they've not slept enough. You have a little more of a filter, okay? But you have to have those things. So, so what do we do? It matters what God says. That is a crucial pillar. We cannot, we, cannot, we cannot change what God's Word says so that we can be okay with somebody. Now, can I, can I, I'm going to play the role of a student asking this question. Yes. Because one of my leaders brought this up. This is a good point in the meeting. There are some churches and there are some pastors even who, who will say, well, the Bible actually means this or, or Jesus never said that. So there, again, this independent variable piece of interpreting what Scripture says. So how do we deal with Brookwood Church says one thing. Five other churches may five, say five different things. So what, what do we do with that? Well, I'll tell you this. Here's one thing that is troubling and something that you need to be concerned about. Just like scientists can say what they want about particular things, just like you can say what you want about your favorite fast food place, there are people who tell you, here's what the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic things that Jesus said is. Well, I will tell you, if you're extremely interested in that, you should learn Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. I am beginning to get exposed to these languages, okay? And I will just tell you some of the arguments that they mean these things are really just false. Not like they could mean those things or not like they should mean those things. They're false. What you also need to understand is these translators, when we're talking about we have all of these, like when you're translating something, you're not taking one translation and then writing it down over here and changing a little bit. You're literally taking thousands of pieces of documentation. You're doing it in a council of people and you're agreeing that this is what the Bible is saying. Either word for word, which some translations lean to, or thought for thought, which some translations lean to. So I would just tell you, for me, based on what I know and can read in Greek, which is very little. I am not Greek in any way, shape, or form. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, okay? Uh, I am telling you, the Bible does some wonderful things with the Greek language. For instance, the only word in the Greek language at the time to talk about homosexuality was a, a slur. It was derogatory in nature. But it's the only word that they had to use to describe a man having sexual relations with another man or a woman having sexual relations with another woman. So what did the Bible authors do? Paul made up a word to describe the most concrete behavior that it could be, which means a man laying with a man. It was not a slur. It was not derogatory. In fact, it was even more respectful and more loving towards those people who had those proclivities. So I would just tell you, if they tell you that the Bible does not, from beginning to end, through Jesus and Paul, condemn same-sex behavior, yep. that is false. That's untrue and that's a lie. From the beginning of the book until the end of the book, same-sex behavior is sinful. Now you're making that distinction behavior and I want, make, I want to make sure yes. everybody hears this yes. because the distinction is between same-sex behavior and same-sex attraction. So I, I, just, I look at the numbers and I know enough about statistics to know somebody in this room, whether now, in the future, or in the past, you've been same-sex attracted. Please don't walk out of here feeling shamed 
or hated or like this is not a place you can come anymore. There is a distinction between feeling led towards something, a desire to do something, and actually doing it. It's not just same-sex attraction. It's if I'm opposite-sex attracted to someone that's not my wife acting on that. That, that crosses the line. You see that. Like, everybody gets that, right? So, being same-sex attracted is not something you have to just hide in the shame of that. It's the behavior. Everybody with me on that? And the Bible describes that. I need you to understand that. The Bible describes different categories for desire and attraction than it does for behavior. One is sin. One is a result of the fall. We all have sinful desires. To take a little money on the side, to steal something from your favorite place, to tell a lie to your parents, to get you out of pain. Those are all sinful desires. But then we, do we do those things? Do you, understand, do you understand the distinction between those things? So if you are same-sex attracted, can I tell you something? You are welcome to be here. We, we love the fact that you're here. We want to talk to you. One of the disservices that the church does sometimes is we talk, like, I love my wife. I think marriage is amazing and wonderful. But sometimes what it can feel like is if you don't get married, then you're less than. If you're single, that it's the worst. That's not the way the Bible talks about being single. That's not the way the scriptures describe those things. But sometimes human beings in trying to share the things that we think are awesome, that's what we do. So I'm, I'm sharing with you, if that's you, the worst thing you can do is have that attraction, have that desire, and not be able to talk about it, work it through, and then ultimately see what does Christ say about those things. And our culture sometimes, I wish I could say Brookwood's a place where every student that you come into contact here at Crave, if you told them, here's what I'm struggling with, I wish I could say every one of the students in here will tell you, man, we're so glad that you're here. Can we talk? Can we, talk? Can we hear what's going on in your life? Can we, can we ask you some questions? Would you be willing to ask us some questions? I hope that's the case. But can I tell you, I've been a human being long enough to know there's a lot of crazy human beings out there, okay? So we are telling you as pastors, if you are same-sex attracted, okay, we would love to get to know you and know your story and talk to you about what is going on in your life. And you will not be shamed by us. We will not tell you that you are less than. If anything, you have an extremely incredible testimony that, that God wants to work in your life. But, but... We're giving you the information. You've got to take that step. And so we're not ever going to go around and go, this person has this issue in any issue. But when you bring it to us, we're going to tell you what the scriptures say. We're going to work on the relationship. And then we're going to work on how do we make that true in our bodies and in our life. That's what we're going to work through. Okay? That's a good word. Robsy, I'm going to come to you for this last piece. Uh, preferred pronouns. How, how, give us some guidance on this as we're seeing more and more people put their preferred pronouns in their social media bio. Um, or maybe somebody you work with or on a team with, how, how, do, we, how do we engage with this? Um, just like JC was saying, the relationship piece there is a very important. And just to share with a story that I heard at Starbucks the other day, they, this person came in and they said, I spent the whole day with my family and we were trying to go through like all my tax stuff and they, they just kept using she, 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 and, she, and then they said, it was very infuriating. I couldn't even be there and have this conversation and talk about my taxes with my parents because of this. Mm. And so I think as followers of Christ, what we need to do is, one, we need to make sure that our actions and everything that we display says that we are Christians. Mm. Because what I've found is that when I've had these conversations with people, I've always come to say, hey, I know you use they pronouns. I'm working on that. I'm sorry if I get it wrong. And they're like, no, it's no worries. It's fine. I understand. We know who you are. Um, even having conversations um, with one of my coworkers who's gay, and then me being like, The Last of Us came out. And I was like, oh yeah, of course that girl is gay. Like, gay. Look at this, like she was almost like raped and then she was in this like apocalypse and then like all these other things happened, like men have been completely horrible to her, of course. And he was like, did you just assume that like, this is why she's gay is because of her environment? And I was like, well, yeah. And he was like, Robzy, I know who you are and I know that you love me, but if, we didn't have this relationship, I would literally fight you right now. Mm. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. And then they sparked a whole conversation. So me being able to like have that relationship with these people has just been able to, okay, well, let's talk about these views. And then they've like, because they know I'm a Christian, they've already assumed what my viewpoints are. And so it's good to be able to be like, well, actually not all of those things you assume are right, but also they know who I am and they respect also who I am as a Christian to know that like, hey, if you mess up a little bit, it's fine. Also, if like we know this is what you believe, and so like we're able to like have these conversations with you. And so I think going out of our way to be like, well, I'm never going to call you a they or a he because you're obviously a she. Um, I think that just destroys and it burns any bridge 
of ever being able to share the gospel with that person or any of their friends because then they're going to be like, well, this person, you know, they refuse to use any of my pronouns and then they think they're putting themselves on a pedestal and they're pushing me down because this is what I, this is what I believe. And I think there's just so much hurt and pain underneath all of this stuff that me being like, no, you're a she. It's not like they're going to be like, you're right. You got me. This is it. This is what I needed. Someone just needed to tell me. Um, that's like, that's never going to happen, right? There's so much life that has happened in this person mm. that, man, what they probably just really need is someone just to love them, who they are, love them where they're at. In the same way Jesus loves us where we're at. When he looks down on us and he's like, you looking at that website again? Mm. Mm. You know, in the same way we look at other people and we're like, oh, you're going to wear that to work? Mm. You're going to wear that to school? Mm. You know, we, we judge people like... Jesus doesn't do that to us. And so I think extending grace, extending mercy, meeting people where they're at is really what we need to do as followers of Christ. And we need to make sure that, like, us being Christians, that, that like, that is, like, there. Like, we're, like, almost, like, on our shirts. Like, I am a Christian. So that when they, like, when we have these conversations and we're talking to people and they're having the conversations with us, that, like, we're not going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me just skim my whole Christian worldview just for this one conversation to make sure I love you. Like, your presence isn't going to be what's, what's there to save them. It's going to be Jesus that saves them. And so I think also when we're having these conversations, when we're using these pronouns, we need to make sure that we know that it's not just our presence, but that it's going to be Jesus who's going to be the person who's changing lives. Yeah. I'll add to that. Loving someone doesn't mean you approve everything they do any more than disagreeing with someone means that you hate them. So Robsy's making a good point. You got to love people. You have to, that, like, that's what we're called to do. But just because I love someone doesn't mean I go, you're making great choices and everything that you do in your life is a thumbs up. Um, but you also don't have to beat them over the head with that. It, it's a fine line. Like, should you use that person's pronouns? I, I can't, I don't, you know, part of me leans, I don't want to destroy that person. Part of me also, like, if I've known them my whole life, like, what, how do I engage with that? But I'm going to start with a conversation with that person. And I would, I would just advise caution for all of you in trying to like get online and engage with people about any sensitive subject, but particularly this. Um, people have got their identity so wrapped up in their sexuality, which I would tell you is a, a huge misstep to begin with, but caution in this and love and patience and go slow in this. Don't, don't try to score points off somebody. Uh, a couple books real quick. Uh, I have, again, I've got multiple copies of, the, of each of these in my office. If you want them, you can have them. Uh, is God anti-gay? This is by a pastor in England who is himself same-sex attracted. Sam Alberry. You can find uh, some clips of him talking about this stuff on YouTube. Also, uh, this is a pastor up in North Carolina, great name, Kevin DeYoung. Uh, what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? Both of these books are very thin. They're very digestible. Um, Sarah Hobson, where are you at? You're in here. I gave you one of these. You were able to get through this book pretty, pretty, it's easy. To, oh, that pastor thinks that book is easy. <laughs> uh, a fellow high school student, you got through that book. We had some good conversation out about it. Sweet. So uh, come see me if you want to grab one of those. We're going to have to uh, probably actually hit pause here on a couple of the other big ones. I'll push those into next week. But we'll end with this one. How did the resurrection of Jesus work? This is important. This is the crux of the gospel. We love to do this thing where we're like, well, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, that is true. He also rose from the dead. And this is important because the Bible itself says if this claim about Christ is false, then we are to be pitied above all people in the world. Because if Jesus is not really alive, which is an incredible claim, that someone would die and come back to life. And you can read all about these different theories, the swoon theory. He just passed out. Y'all, I mean, if you go read what they did to Jesus and you're going to tell me he passed out and then later he woke up and pushed aside this massive boulder and just like bounded off into the woods. No, that's not what happened. I don't think. Um, how did the resurrection of Jesus work? He willingly sacrificed his life. He even said, no one takes this from me. I willingly lay it down. And it was the power of God. The Holy Spirit of God came and resurrected him from the dead. We sing this song sometimes. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. That's how that works. The supernatural Holy Spirit of God is how Jesus came back to life. And we believe Jesus is still alive. Like Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he will come back. And he will separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff. He will establish an eternal everlasting kingdom. If you don't believe Jesus is alive, 
none of the rest of the stuff we talked about tonight is really going to make a, a big difference. You have to start here. And so if you're like, dude, all this stuff you guys were throwing at me was okay, I guess, but I just, I can't get past this thing that you worship a dead person. Well, he's not dead. We don't believe that. I don't believe that. These guys don't believe that. Your community group leaders don't believe that. This church doesn't believe that. We believe Jesus is alive. If you struggle to grasp that, I get it. It's kind of a bold claim. But start there. Uh, come see me. Come see your group leader. Let's talk about the scriptures. Let's talk about the evidences. Let's dive into it. Okay? Uh, next week, we've got a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about how can I know if I'm hearing God's voice or that's just me in the back of my own mind. How do I know God's plan for my life? What do we do with these world religions? Why do bad things happen to good people? That was the most asked question we got. It was asked about nine different ways, but it's one question. And we'll deal with some of the various branches of that. I'm really excited about it. Just in parting, Robsy, would you give any final advice to this group of students as they're asking questions, wrestling with doubts? I would say keep asking questions. Go through your doubts. Um, I know we, earlier we asked, uh, the question was asked, like, how do I know if I'm saved? And, like, how do we know if we've gotten to this point? I would say between the ages of, like, 16 and 18, I probably said, like, seven got saved prayers. Uh, whether that was like on a stage or whether it was like coming up to an altar or whether it was just in the bathroom just being like I am a piece of trash mm -hmm. I'm obviously not saved um, I would say that it is sanctification and we just keep working on ourselves and I think there's a moment when we can look at and we can say this is probably the moment where I really decided I really wanted to believe in God but since then it has just been piece by piece trying to get a little bit more like Jesus every day to keep asking these questions. If you have these doubts, make sure you just have somebody around you that you can ask these questions to, and you're not just like, oh, well, I got to this question, and I can't find the answer. I'm stumped. This is over. Yeah. Have community. Ask questions. Have somebody you can go to and just be like, hey, what did Jesus mean when he said to hate his mom and dad? Hmm. And if you don't hate them, then you don't love me. And I was like, that was a big thing when I was like 16. I was like, no, it's supposed to be about love. Why are you telling me to hate people? You know? Um, and so... If I didn't have community, then I probably would have just given up there and just been like, no, the Bible contradicts itself. That's it. It's over. I'm out. Um, and so I would say keep asking questions. Make sure you have community with people. Yeah, before I swing it to JC, deconstruction is kind of a buzzy word right now. You've probably heard that somewhere around the church, around the faith. And, and some people, it's almost kind of a dirty word. I don't necessarily feel that way. I think it is good for us to examine our faith and to understand why we believe what we believe and to walk through it and to ask these questions. But you do hear stories. Uh, Rhett and Link, you guys have heard of them, that was a couple years ago. Fanatic, who was a Christian rapper uh, in the early 2000s, uh, just this past week, was coming out talking about, hey, I've got questions and no one can answer them, so I'm out. That's heartbreaking to me, because I just wonder what was his support system like, what was his community like, who was there to come alongside him in that. Um, so keep asking the questions, it's such a good parting word. Rosie, I love that. JC, what about you, parting word? Yeah, I would just say Christ is enough. You don't need anything else. You don't need to read any more books other than the Bible. The Bible gives you everything you need, okay? So even though I like to read, you don't have to like to read. That's fine. Um, Christ is enough. I will also tell you, ask more questions. However many questions you think you have, I can guarantee you I have 50,000 more than you do. I love, I love questions. It's the number one thing I look at when I'm looking for a potential future leader is somebody who asks questions, okay? It will benefit you in whatever area of life you find yourself in, whether married or employed, whether a student, whether an intern, whether a professional, a lawyer, a football coach, whatever you end up. Asking good questions means personal and professional development, okay? So always ask good questions. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is, um, Kevin's your youth pastor. If you have questions about anything concerning faith or your life, you go to your community group leader, and then you come to Kevin, your, your pastor, and you ask him the hard questions, and you try and get him to be stumped. That's what you try to do. Don't ask easy questions. Ask hard questions and stump him, okay? I got, I got enough of those already. Thank you. <laughs> Usually they come from me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I will just say, please ask us questions. We would much rather be listening to you and your questions and trying to help you see what God's Word says than pushing paperwork at our desk. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we're pastors. That's what we want to be. So, I can verify JC likes questions. He would. I'd be sitting at the desk in the office, and JC would just be like, "Hey, you, ask Rob you a question." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh gosh, what is your question?" Okay, can y'all imagine with me for just for a second? Like, think about your friend who you know disagrees with like everything we just said. Can you imagine if this was a place where you could say, "Hey, you can come and ask these questions, and no one's gonna like hate on you, no one's gonna like make fun of you." That's what I want. 
And I hope you feel that, and I hope that you can kind of communicate that some to your friends, um, to your family. So let me pray for us. And then uh, small group leaders, you got like five minutes real quick to just gather as a group, pray for each other, love on each other, and then we'll get out of here. So let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We are imperfect. We fall down so often. We sin. Almost all of us, even today, have sinned. But you are gracious to forgive. You stand ready with love and grace and mercy and not condemnation. So I pray, God, that we would just accept what you freely offer. God, I pray that when we have these doubts, when we have these questions, we wouldn't stay alone in them. We wouldn't grow cynical. But, God, we would ask you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate your word, that we would ask great friends, great leaders, great pastors to come alongside us, our family, God, our spiritual and actual fathers and mothers and grandparents, to just come and, and be ambassadors on your behalf. So, God, I pray you would raise up even these high school students now as they get ready to head back home, head to jobs, head to schools. Uh, just help them to go be disciples who make disciples. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Y'all come back next week, bring a friend. We're going to get into some heavy stuff. Go to groups.